good to see everybody here today. I, I know I walked outside this morning, I was like, seriously, what is, what is up uh, with the weather around here? So it's nice to be in here with all your bright and happy faces. Um, back in 1962, the historian Thomas Kuhn published a book titled The Structure of Scientific Revolution. In the book, Kuhn introduced a new phrase that has become common in the years since. This is one of my favorite phrases. He came up with the phrase paradigm shift to describe what happens in science when knowledge that is so commonly accepted and has been taken for granted is replaced by a new knowledge that is better able to explain how the world operates. The transition from one paradigm of knowledge to another is always challenging. The knowledge that is being replaced would not have been developed in the first place if it did not have some explanatory value. Those that have invested energy in understanding the prior knowledge are reluctant to move on to a new way of thinking. Much of what we think we know in the present world is passing away. The knowledge which dominates present-day thinking is being replaced with the knowledge that came into this world through Jesus Christ. We are in the midst of a paradigm shift. This paradigm shift isn't scientific, it transcends the physical world. The knowledge shift taking place is spiritual. There is resistance to this shift broadly in the world, often there is resistance in the hearts of individual Christians. We are more attached to worldly knowledge than we often realize. Let's turn now to 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul talks about the present imperfect knowledge that is passing away and the perfect knowledge which will completely replace the partial. We're going to read verses 8 through 12. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know Fully, even as I have been fully known. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The Corinthians 
thought they knew a lot. At least some of them thought they knew more than Paul. While Paul was a smart guy, there may have been those that knew more than him on specific matters. They spent a lot of time listening to lectures, so they probably did have some knowledge Paul lacked. Whatever they might have known was not the most important information to have. Paul is trying to make clear to them that their focus on temporary, worldly knowledge is a distraction from eternal knowledge. What everyone needs to know fully, on a personal level, is the love of God. That is the absolute source of all knowledge. It is the only knowledge that will last. Jesus, the love of God, knows all. He is the source of perfect knowledge. The partial will pass away. The perfect will come. The Corinthians, like us today, and every person who has ever lived in history, live in a world that is partly good and partly bad. We live in a world of gray. Even in situations where evil appears completely dominant, there are flashes of good. For the past 75 plus years, when evil gets talked about, the Nazis will normally end up getting mentioned. This makes sense. The Nazi regime was responsible for levels of evil that are hard to fathom. They were, they were driven by hate to murder huge numbers of people. But not all Nazis were completely evil. In 1943, German authorities planned to round up all the Jews in Denmark and send them to concentration camps for liquidation. George Duckwitz, who had been a Nazi since 1932, was serving as a German diplomat in Denmark. He warned the Danish authorities about the Nazi plan. With that warning, 95% of the 7,800 Jews that lived in Denmark were able to escape the Nazis. After the war, George Duckwitz, Duckwitz was designated righteous among the nations, the righteous Nazi. Just as it is hard to find an evil circumstance with no good, so it is hard to locate a good circumstance with no bad in it. Back in the Revolutionary War, there was a soldier who was famous for his skill as a commander on the battlefield and his bravery under fire. Early in the war, this American soldier proposed an expedition to 
from Boston to capture Fort Ticonderoga in New York, which succeeded, although while he was gone, his wife died. The next year, this same soldier led another expedition of 1,100 soldiers through the main wilderness to reach Quebec. On that journey, 300 men turned back, while another 200 died on the way. Once at Quebec, the soldier's leg was badly mangled in the battle to take the fort there. At the time, nobody would have doubted that this soldier, Benedict Arnold, was an American hero. Arnold may not be remembered by history as a villain if some things had gone differently following his injury. Unfortunately, the bad in him one out over the good. The best way to understand that there's some bad even in the good is not to talk about historical examples, though. It is to look at ourselves. I guess I can only speak for myself here, but the good I seek is always mixed with my own tainted ambition. My motives are never actually completely pure. While I can't know what is going on in your mind to the same extent I can know what is going on in my own, I can say with confidence that my own mixed nature is not the exception, but the rule. The prophet Jeremiah states unambiguously that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? While Christians have access to more clarity in a world of murky gray than we would apart from God, our knowledge is still partial. Paul writes, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. Through Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Bible, and other avenues, God blesses his people with the insight we need to navigate the foggy haze of this world. I kind of I think about the knowledge we have from God as being similar to the, the little lights uh, that reflect on the side of the interstate. I don't know if you've ever been driving down the interstate on a super foggy night, and you can't really see the road ahead of you. All you can see is those reflective lights to guide you. Your knowledge of what is coming is partial, but those lights are sufficient to guide you forward. The knowledge God gives us is sufficient to continue to move forward, but it is not total. We still have to exercise care as a driver in the fog does, if we don't, we will, end, we will likely end up driving straight into a ditch. A big issue with the Corinthians is that they keep on driving into ditches. The problem is not so much a lack of faith, it is more that they think they know more than they do. Their faith is in what they think they know 
more than what God has told them is true. Perfect knowledge is what Christians are supposed to be moving towards. It is not something any Christian arrives at in our present world. This doesn't mean we don't know anything. There are many truths that we can state with complete confidence. God is creator. Jesus is Lord are a couple of big ones. A day will come when our knowledge will be perfected. We will have no more questions. I'm not just referring to scientific questions like how can light be both wave and a particle or philosophical ones such as why a good God allows evil. Although I have no doubt we will have the answer to those questions as well. We will no longer have any questions about how to behave as humans. We will no longer experience any uncertainty about what is right, good, and true for us to do. Until that time when the perfect comes and the partial passes away, absolute certainty in what we think we know is a sign of immaturity. While an awareness of our limited knowledge indicates increasing maturity. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, Paul writes. Being childlike in this case is not a good thing. Jesus tells his followers to have a childlike faith, a childlike faith. Trust, such a faith looks to God without doubt. That's not what Paul is talking about here. When Paul encourages the Corinthians to give up childish ways, he's not saying they should abandon their childlike faith. He is saying they should not exhibit the defiant certainty sometimes found in children. The thinking of children is incredibly concrete. They will sometimes exhibit complete confidence in their knowledge, even though they know very little. Their thinking lacks nuance and the ability to imagine information outside of their direct experience. Pretty much everyone who routinely deals with children has had the experience of dealing with a child that cannot be reasoned with. And, and you just hope that when this happens, it does not happen in public, right? Although, although I feel like kids, like they know when they've got you in an awkward public situation at a very young age. A child will demand something. Maybe it's a certain food or maybe they don't want to go to bed. All the child can imagine is what they know to be true. They don't want to go to bed. They don't need to go to bed. They are not tired. Or that chicken nuggets are the only edible food, right? Everything else that might be consumed in the world is poison besides chicken nuggets. And they know that with absolute confidence. 
Attempts to introduce information to sway the child's thinking are met with defiant opposition. Their thinking is limited by their lack of intellectual development. Paul is saying, don't be childish in this way. Children are extremely confident in their thinking. That confidence doesn't mean they are correct. Neither does the confidence of the Corinthians in their knowledge mean they are correct. It actually just means they are immature. The world today is filled with immature people. Life is complex. Those that act as if it is simple need to grow up. We are all guilty of this to some extent. I would prefer the world be simple. I would prefer it. Complexity is stressful. If a problem is multifaceted, that means there are no easy answers to the problem. Recently, I have been very disturbed by what is happening in Haiti. As many of you know, I had an opportunity to lead trips to Haiti multiple times as part of my last pastoral job. And on those trips, I developed close friendships with Haitians and had amazing experiences. Things were bad in Haiti from 2012 to 2017 when, when I got the opportunity to travel there. If you had told me then the situation would get infinitely worse, I would have had a hard time believing it. But that's, that's just what has happened. Haiti is in a spiral of complete failure with no obvious solution. There's no simple fix for Haiti. Its problems are political, economic, historic, and spiritual. All the money in the world wouldn't just fix Haiti. Neither would a new president undoing a complex history of slavery, racism, war, witchcraft, bad policy, and natural disasters is no simple task. My partial knowledge of the world is highlighted whenever I think about the ongoing tragedy of hate. Paul writes, when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. A large aspect of maturing is recognizing what you don't know. Lived experience forces us to recognize the limits of our knowledge. I volunteer with the Amesbury Basketball Board. I live up in Amesbury. And before volunteering with that board, I was helping coach youth sports, do a variety of things in a variety of ways. And I would often have this experience when I was doing that coaching of thinking, man, the people running this, like, what are they doing, right? What are they, this is a disaster, right? And then I thought, you know what, I can, I can fix this. 
I can make this better. And then when I actually got into that position where I was the one running the show, I realized it's not that easy to fix. It's not that easy to run a program for 250 kids. It's not that easy to navigate all the personalities that come into play in town politics. The person who doesn't recognize the limits of their own knowledge, honestly, they're really difficult to deal with. This is the type of person that has a lot to say about the way things should be done. Do you know, do you know who the best parents are? The best parents that have all the answers? It's the people that have never had kids, right? It's all really clear cut before you have these little people in your life. Those that don't recognize the, the complexity, the obscurities of our world, they rarely admit they're wrong because when their knowledge fails, they're not self-reflective. They just blame everyone else. Such people are often backseat drivers and Monday morning quarterbacks. The person who thinks they know all looks down on everyone else. They're unteachable. Humbleness is a character trait that develops with the recognition that we see dimly. This was not a trait that was valued in Corinth. It was interpreted as a sign of weakness. Humbleness was an indication of a lack of conviction in your own knowledge. This is yet one more way modern culture is similar to Corinthian culture. Humbleness is, not, is now viewed as weakness. We prefer leaders that claim they have all the answers. It is not surprising that the leaders we end up with exhibit childlike behavior that matches their childlike thinking. When their knowledge is refuted, instead of evaluating it, they throw a tantrum, insisting anyone who doesn't see the world they do is just a dummy. Christians should recognize the partial nature of what we know, even as we look forward to the time when we shall know fully. This will happen when we are made one with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Jesus does know all. He knows everything God knows. All things have been handed to Jesus by the Father. There is no limit to the knowledge of Christ. He is omniscient. The resurrected Jesus knows the thoughts of every man. As Psalm 94.11 says, The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are a mere breath. He sees clearly what we can only see partially. In Jesus' complete knowledge and complete love are unified. Throughout this sermon, we have been focusing on perfect knowledge. It is easy to forget that Paul is associating perfect knowledge with love. There's no separation between the two. We think of knowledge as objective truth that is arrived at through reason and study, while love is a subjective feeling. 
For Jesus, fully knowing and absolutely loving are not separate truths. When we know what Jesus knows, we will likewise love like Jesus loves. I cannot help but be reminded that as Jesus hung dying on the cross, he looked on some of those responsible for his excruciating pain and cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus knew the hearts of those who killed them, and he loved them. The hope that our knowledge and love will one day be made perfect is rooted in Christ's present perfect knowledge and love of us. Jesus knows you completely. He knows your brokenness. He knows your darkest thoughts. He knows your history, how badly you have been hurt by those who were supposed to know and love you best. Jesus knows not only what you are, but what you were created to be and what you will be when he has completed your redemption. Jesus is not limited to a snapshot of your present self. He knows you more fully than you know yourself. Jesus fully knows you. Jesus completely loves you. Jesus is God's love expressed, Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. To fully know, we must know the love of Jesus. All other knowledge is secondary to this ultimate source. It is through this love of God that all creation came to be, exists in the present, and will ultimately culminate. We live in a present knowledge paradigm that is in the process of passing away. Our knowledge is partial. It is tied to our experiences in this world, which include the brokenness of the world and the goodness that God has shown us. The knowledge that is coming into being is complete. The love of Christ Jesus is the lens through which we can truly know. There is no greater way of knowing than the love of Jesus. Any believer has had an initial experience of that love in that each of us has been fully known by Christ. If we want to know completely, we only need to look to the love that has been shown to us. We need to mature in the love of Jesus Christ. The more we know the love of God, the more the knowledge 
of this world will be revealed for what it is, a, a, a passing fancy. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are limited in our knowledge in so many ways. Most importantly, we are limited in our knowledge of how to love you well, of how to love each other well, and how to love this world that you have placed us in. Dear Lord, I pray that we would compare all the things we think we know to what you know, to what Jesus taught, to those ultimate truths that will not pass away, most especially the love of God expressed through Jesus Christ on the cross, Lord. I pray that we would mature in our knowledge and our love and that we would see more clearly that we might better be able to live as you have called us to live. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.